Since its premiere at the Teatro Regio in Turin in 1896 under the baton of a young conductor named Arturo Toscanini, Puccini's La Boheme has become one of the world's most frequently performed operas. Yuval Sharon, who is the artistic director of Detroit Opera, is going to talk about the production at the Detroit Opera House. And Yuval, people will experience a different Boheme in this production as it poses the question, how do you begin telling the story of a great love when you know that it ends in disaster? Exactly, exactly. That's actually a line from an Italian um, novel called The Hummingbird um, that uh, tells a story in a kind of jumbled chronology going from the the end of a love story to the beginning, to the middle, and and, and throughout. And that's actually very apropos for this production because we're actually going to start at the end of La Boheme, we're gonna start with Puccini's Act Four, and uh, we'll do it from the beginning of Act Four to the end of Act Four, but then we'll keep moving backwards to see how did they get to that position? How do they get to that moment in their lives, to that that emotional uh, devastation? What happened just prior to that? And then we play Act Three, Puccini's Act Three. After that, we say, well, what happened just prior to that? We do Puccini's Act Two. And earlier that night is act one of, uh, of, of Puccini's. And we end with the two lovers uh, having just met, having just professed their love for the first time and singing amor, amor, singing love offstage as if those echoing voices will just last until eternity. So it's actually, a, it's a very strong finale, even though it's only the finale of Puccini's Act One. <laughs> and how fitting that is, because even at the time of loss, when people are older, they will always cherish and, and hold in their hearts the feeling of how they felt when they first fell in love and when they first met. And that's a universal feeling that anyone who has ever been in love can really experience. So Bohem has a happy ending. It finally has a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really kind of amazing because uh, as we've been rehearsing it, we open on Saturday and as we've been rehearsing it, of course, it takes a lot of uh, uh, changing your expectations around around La Boheme, especially for our singers, you know, who are used to a certain more conventional arc of, you know, boy meets girl, girl dies. <laughs> like, that's kind of the story of La Boheme. So instead, we, we, we're going backwards. But what's, what's amazing is that we see these two young lovers, uh, you know, without knowing where their love story is going to go, that they still nevertheless commit to each other. And they nevertheless commit to living life fully. And that is just so life affirming. Uh, it's, and there's such a life affirming quality in Puccini's music that can sometimes have a bit of a, uh, of a down, a down note when you do it in a normal order, because of course it ends with, with so much devastation and, and tears. But now to think that, you know, despite everything, they wouldn't have done anything different, you know, and I, I am, I'm excited to put the audience in that position of thinking, well, what would have happened if, Mimi didn't drop her key. What would have happened if that if if uh, uh, Rodolfo didn't confess his feelings to his friend Marcello that Mimi overhears and then and then provokes a whole emotional response? All of these moments in which all of the little choices they made lead up uh, to living the life to living a singular life. And I think that there's a great message there for all of us that you know we're all going to face pain. We're all going to face suffering. That is what living is all about. But. Uh, in, in the process of living, 
did we also have those high points in our lives that we wouldn't you can't you can't have those high points without the low points and that's uh and i don't think we would trade the high points uh uh for that for for for, for knowing that we have uh difficult moments ahead too and how interesting that the audience can experience Puccini in a different way because uh, the entire production is about an hour and a half. So usually when people go to a performance of Bohem, it's uh, three hours. There are two intermissions. And in this way, I think that uh, – don't you feel that the music of Puccini takes on a different emotional and musical impact as in a way it's put together in a much more compact presentation. Absolutely. And, you know, there's very little, we did one little tiny cut, which most people probably won't, won't even know, uh, <laughs> but otherwise it's the full score and it is just so surprising and refreshing to feel like the whole production is done in one brush stroke as if we never lift the brush from the canvas and we just do one stroke and the whole piece is told. And um, it's one of the true geniuses of the score because Puccini absolutely captures the evanescence and the fleetingness and the joy and the rush of being young and in love, you know, um, that it all happens in a, in a moment's notice. You know, you, you invoked the 1896 premiere uh, in Italy of La Boheme. And it's funny to read the reviews of that original production because, um, people didn't like it because people couldn't quite follow it. You know, it happened so fast, you know? I mean, opera, we think of opera as taking a lot of time that, that emotions need to be stated and restated and thought in a different way. But there is no time in any of any, in any of La Boheme. It is so swift. And to think that all of La Boheme happens in an, in an hour and a half tells you that what it's after is that, that galloping spirit of being young in which everything is everything is overflowing everything is burning time is of the essence and everyone's trying to seize the moment and um i think that the young cast of this production absolutely capture that the rambunctiousness of these characters how wild they are how how um how just completely uh, irre uh you know uh, irrepressible they are and, uh, and and joyous that they are and that's i think it's why this opera has been so popular um, despite every, just, you know, just despite the tragedy, you know, is actually, uh, we recognize in it what it's like to be your, in your early 20s and in love and in love with life, you know, and full of hope. Now, this young cast will also be joined by the legendary George Shirley in a role called The Wanderer. Tell us about his role. Yes, I think that we realized that if we were going to take the audience on this journey um, it, back in time, going from, you know, step by step through the opera, that we would need a guide through that process. And so we thought that it would be really beautiful to have someone who could be a guide for this piece that would also bring with them a kind of an, an, an emotional gravitas and an aura of, um, you know, a, a legendary singer who knows the opera inside and out. I mean, he's been with us in rehearsal, singing along, you know, to all the parts. And, you know, in one rehearsal, we had we had uh, George Shirley with us um, in this role. And uh, he's he was singing off stage for uh, for Rodolfo. And it just reminded me, you know, he was Rodolfo, you know, he played this role, you know, and he, he made such a such a such a name for his, himself doing this role. And it's beautiful to think we've left the role ambiguous so that each audience member can decide how she or he would like to read this role. 
there is a reading of the role in which it, it is kind of George Shirley looking back and, and remembering Bohem, remembering performing Bohem. That would be a wonderful reading. Um, it's not the intent, intended reading, but you could also see it as a shadow of Rodolfo. You could see it as a shadow of Marcello. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't even like to, to offer those because I would, I'm, I'm looking forward to being surprised by how people might interpret this. But having, having, having Mr. Shirley as part of this uh, production gives it that, that emotional, uh, emotional complexity and the depth and also that notion that also Puccini, it's, he didn't write it when he was 20. He was already looking back at what it was like uh, to be 20. And, and there is a sense of that reflection. You know, another, another quote that I think is really appropriate for this is by the, uh, the, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, when he said that life can only be understood looking backwards, but we are destined to live it in forward motion. He puts it much more beautifully than that. But but the spirit's absolutely right. You know, as you're living our as we live our lives by the arrow of time and we just take day by day, you know, it's it's confusing and it's disorienting. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, any one any the next hour could bring total devastation to our lives. Um, so it's it's that mystery of living that only when after that happens you can look back and understand the trajectory and that's that's what we're trying to achieve with this production of Bohem is by looking backwards at all of the steps that led to that death. Um, maybe we get maybe we see an understanding that we, that we that that none of the characters could quite understand. I think having George Shirley too as a native Detroiter. Uh, back on stage at the Detroit Opera House, which leads me to the question about what we have come to know and love as Michigan Opera Theater with the new name, the Detroit Opera. And what does this new name indicate to you about the goals and the mission of the opera company here in Detroit, Michigan? It's a great it's a great formulation of that question, because having George Shirley as part of this production, of course, makes sure that every production we, we do uh, is thinking first and foremost about resonances within our own community, um, that that is that is at the forefront of my mind. And I'd like that to be at the forefront of the audience's mind, no matter if it's an opera that's 125 years old, like uh, like La Boheme, maybe an opera that's. 400 years old if we get if we get to Monteverdi at some point um you know or an opera that was written just 40 years ago like like the uh, Malcolm X opera that we'll be doing in May all of them um sh should share uh, a deep resonance and something very specific to our community uh, not just the fact even though it's important to say that our chorus and our orchestra are all Detroiters you know so that's we always have local artists involved in what we do but to go beyond that and to think of La Boheme for this time in this um, city and this um, this moment as we're emerging out of COVID, of course, that's also played a huge part in thinking about this reverse order Boheme, you know, um, but but making sure that we have this voice of Detroit as part of it and creating a role for someone who is that legendary son of Detroit like George Shirley is. So I'm, I'm, I think that is a very strong indication. Of course, the Malcolm X production happening in May is also, you know, uh, Malcolm X as, as a historic figure whose, in, in my mind, his footprints are still fresh in the, in the, in the, in the, you know, on the landscape of Detroit. And that's um, that. That for me was a burning reason that we had to do this production, uh, and I'm very excited to do that in May. 
Um, and I, I, I want to look for every opportunity I can with every production to put Detroit front and center uh, in what we do. Doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, when people come to see our Lab OM, it's not, you know, it's not on, it's not set um, in, you know, it's not set on Woodward. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's still set in Paris, 1850, but there's ways in which the nuances and the voices and, um, and then ideally the artists representing them, these, these, these characters can all bring a Detroit accent with them. And I think that that's what I'd like Detroit Opera to really be about. As I've said, I've said a couple of times that, you know, for me, this company has been Detroit Opera since 1996, when David DiChiara uh, opened this theater and said, our company is going to be based in downtown Detroit. And that was a very bold move in 96. And it was indeed. It was and and, and um, everyone really thought that he had kind of gone off the deep end because uh, at that time, the old Capitol Theater was derelict. The, the area was, well, people gave up on it. And I honestly feel very, very strongly that David D. Kiera planting the flag for artistry in downtown Detroit began the revival of the entire area. And uh, that's something that the Detroit Opera Company, I know, is justly proud of, uh, to see the rebirth of the area, which has been sparked by the arts and by your company in particular. Well, that's very, very generous of you to say, very kind of you to say. I think that um, we are certainly proud of the role that we play in the vital, the, the, the vitalization, really, not just the revitalization, because it's, you know, Detroit's been vital even even in its darkest times, there's been an incredibly vibrant culture uh, and an uh, entrepreneurial view of what it means to make art, even, even in the most challenging times. It's why Detroit is so well suited for getting through this very challenging time that we're in. You know, we're, COVID's still not fully behind us, you know. Right. Um, so, and we're still reckoning with this devastation of COVID and the racial reckoning that's been happening in this country, among many, many other uh, things that are happening in culture, you know, not even to mention this, this war that's happening that's uh, very much on our minds. So, so we're still in a very dark period, but Detroit has shown an unbelievable uh, power to, uh, to channel that darkness into something productive. And I do think that's why it deserves an opera company like Detroit Opera, <laughs> you know, because I think you're right. The arts remind us that even when things seem so dismal and dark, that we can always find a way forward. And arts, the arts do inspire that. And that's why they're so crucial to be part of any uh, any revitalization uh, of, of the country. The whole country needs revitalization right now. And I do think that the arts play a, a really important role in that. And I, I think that the closer we can bring our arts to our community, the more that that power can really be, uh, can really be a transformative presence in our lives. Well, how fitting that uh, your production of Bohem, which is the first production now that the opera house is opened after two years, uh, Bohem was the first production at, at the Detroit opera house when it opened That's back very, in 97. Very intentional, very, very intentional that that's why we thought it's been two and a half years since opera has performed on this stage. So what better way than to both, you know, look at where we've come from and look ahead, you know, and I think that tension between between looking at both directions, you know, <laughs> forward and backward with, you know, not not having any sort of 
uh, judgment over what, what it means to look back, but actually saying we're bringing the past with us, but we're also transforming the past. We didn't, we didn't just we didn't just erase the past. You know, we we are bringing it with us, but we also know it needs to evolve, and that's what we are now on the on the, on the we're underway with that evolution process. Well, we're honored to be part of uh, broadcasting uh, this uh, this great production. You know, back in uh, when the when the house first opened, there was a commercial classical station in Detroit, WQRS, and we were there. We broadcast that uh, that first production at the brand new Detroit Opera House. And now fast forward to our time where there is now a public radio station, a community-based supported station uh, that is partnering with you. And, and we're so very pleased that we've been invited in to oh, be able to to bring this production, not only to people that can hear our terrestrial signal, but now also through the, the miracles of the internet, Anywhere in the world, people will be able to hear this production Saturday night at the Detroit Opera House. Oh, well, that is a great honor to us. And we're very, very grateful for your support and for you allowing us to let this work be heard by as many people as possible. So thank you so very much for that. Thank you for your time here and all the best to you. And we're so looking forward to not only this production, but all the productions in the future that we're hoping to bring to everyone who can listen in either uh, at 90.9 or through our website at wrcjfm.org. Thank you, Yuval Sharon. Thank you so much. It's great to be here.